0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Current stock market volatility has investors thinking more about fixed-income strategies. In the sustainable finance sector, investors and asset managers have been contending with a lot of what we call greenwashing. Greenwashing refers to some bonds that issuers claim are green, but may have some use of proceeds that don't meet ESG investment criteria. My guest today, Samantha Palm, is going to give us the inside story about what's going on in this part of sustainable investing. And she knows what she's talking about. Palm is the portfolio manager of the Parnassus Fixed Income Fund, which is a pioneer company in green fixed income asset management since 1992. Hello, Samantha, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I'm glad you could join us today. Uh, So we'll be talking about fixed income which is your expertise. You're also the chair of the Parnassus Fixed Income Committee, which means that you have responsibility for fixed income management and trading with the firm. What are you encountering these days with the rapid expansion of the green bond markets? It seems to me, Samantha, like every week there's a new category of green bonds for investors to consider.
1: there's certainly been a lot of growth. And for me, I think that's exciting to see. I've long been a proponent of green financing. And uh, for years, we were expecting it to take off some of the first corporate green bonds were issued in 2013 and 2014. And it's been a pretty slow rise. So, um, I think what's happening now is that the market recognizes that there needs to be an enormous amount of transition within global economies. And that transition will need to be financed. And I think that from our perspective, that gives our investors an opportunity to um, allocate funds um, to projects where they know the where the proceeds are going, as opposed to let's say um, general corporate purposes or um, buying back stock or M&A, they know they'll be able to support some of these, these climate transition projects. Ultimately, what matters the most to us as active managers is the underlying issuer. And I think that's really important um, to keep in mind because uh, most green financing deals are not project financing. Certainly the ones that we look at are not, are corporate bonds. And so that means that the issuer is of utmost importance. That's who is paying back the debt, That's who is responsible for interest payments. And the same way that we don't purchase every bond that's issued just because it was issued, we don't purchase most green bonds that are issued just because they're green. We really look back to the the issuer and understand who that company is. Are the products becoming more or less relevant? Do we think they're a good credit risk? And um, also then we, we of course, dive very deep into the the green issuance itself.
0: So... That brings up the next question very well, and that is, what kinds of risks and opportunities are surfacing for you and the Parnassus fixed income team during this current rapid growth in green climate and social bond issuance by corporations, which are, of course, keen to capitalize on the popularity of ESG and green fixed income investment? Sure. I think
1: we'll start with the risks, and the risks are twofold it's important to remember that these are still bonds and have credit risk. And so, as I mentioned, it's really important to appreciate the underlying issuer that is responsible for paying back that debt. The second is that there's of course, risk associated with the green bond. We want to make sure that the funds are deployed correctly and deployed well. And that would be true of any deployment of new capital, but there's mm-hmm. an extra set of expectations and concerns of green issuance. And I think that, um, what I have found is that we were actually doing um, a little bit more investing in green bonds a few years ago, um, and it, it's, um, it's partly an allocation issue kind of who's issuing green bonds, um, but we think it's really important to understand the underlying projects, um, and so that provides us with what the opportunity is, and that if we understand those underlying projects and we can sort of follow the money through the company about how um, these projects are being financed, then it provides our investors with a great opportunity. I think that we've seen a really big focus in the last couple of months in particular around investors appreciating that it's not just equity investments that matter for how you allocate your capital, but when you have money in a bond fund, you're providing capital to those companies to go about their daily business. And so as investors are becoming more interested and more concerned about with allocation of their fixed income funds as well, the green bonds provide a nice supplement to our fund in um, having some of those, those higher impact um, returns. So we invest in companies in general that have goals of some kind, whether they're science-based targets or um, you know that are the highest standard or they're simply um, you know rolling out initial um plans to reduce their carbon footprint and so all these companies have plans and we think it's a nice way for them to to fund those those activities but again we ultimately only want to purchase bonds from companies that we like the the trajectory of the company itself
0: so that that leads perfectly into the next question which is really about a broader economic um, uh, activity and and um, the current market in general uh, for fixed income investing and that is that U.S. financial markets have been anticipating rising interest rates for months as our economy gradually recovers from the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic but things like job creation especially in the service economy has been sporadic and employers are struggling to fill low-wage positions How are these developments or anything else like that in the broader economy affecting sector allocation of capital in the Parnassus Fixed Income Fund?
1: Well, as you can probably imagine, this is of of utmost importance and something that we spend a lot of our time on. We do have a a viewpoint on the trajectory of inflation. Um, Some of that's changed over the last few months, but felt like it was more transitory, um, or at least. Uh, more highly transitory much more temporary a few months ago now is looking like it's going to be a little bit more systemic certainly around some of the supply chain disruptions as COVID-19 changes from a pandemic to an endemic disease and we'll continue to have some disruptions across the globe over a little bit longer period of time however we ultimately think that um, the there's a few different ways to, to, to address that in the portfolio. We've made some fundamental changes. And so some of the things that we've done strategically would be to include more high yield debt, which is less sensitive to rate movements. Um, we still have a really high proportion of uh, investment grade debt, but we've rotated to issuers where we think they'll be less impacted um, by some of the, the fluctuations in the economy as we um, it try to emerge from the pandemic. Um, But then we've also, from an ESG perspective, we've been able to invest in companies that we think um, provide, in many cases, superior pay and benefits. And so that helps those companies um, attract talent and help with um, addressing some of the concerns that you mentioned, which are... um, hobbling other parts of the economy and what's really fascinating to me is that we've gone from a situation where um, supply chain issues and uh, energy prices are causing inflation but that consumers are pulling back a bit and that is a deflationary force and so as we have so many factors in play one of the things that we can really do is reliably look to the companies that we invest in to see what their practices are that will help them weather some of these cycles. So, for example, one of our investments is in Ball Corporation. Um, I'm sure many listeners are very familiar with their product. They make aluminum cans, and there's some really great ESG attributes to that work because aluminum is infinitely recyclable. Um, and so one of the things that they do is they have really great pay packages and they've been able to hire a lot of people through 2020 and 2021, more so than, um, you know, some of the other, uh, certainly other areas within, um, the economy. And if that just speaks to the virtuous cycle that can occur when you do have companies that are investing in their employees and treating them like partners.
0: So not only are they a company that pays attention to the employee issues, but they're also a company, as you suggested, that is working with raw materials and products that can continue to be recycled and and, uh, are really, I, I guess they didn't probably didn't call them this uh, when they first started making aluminum cans, but they are really cir- a circular economy type of of product, right? So that's a very interesting wow. um, take on how certain economic dynamics within the larger economy come into play when you're looking at ESG considerations. And what other kinds of ESG uh, considerations based on the analytical tools that you use in the Parnassus Fixed Income Fund help you avoid corporate bond issues that might be um, incorporating uh, a combination of green and greenwashing use of proceeds uh, when they raise money through debt?
1: Sure. So this is, a I think an interesting topic because it's, I think it's somewhat more controversial than it seems on the surface. And the reason is that most companies that are issuing green bonds today are, do have goals that they're trying to meet and they do have projects that they need to finance. And I think that um, if we look back, there was a lot of controversy, I think it was in 2014 or 2015, around the state of Massachusetts, they had issued a green bond that part of the proceeds were being used for a parking garage, and there were a lot of concerns at the time. And there was articles in Wall Street Journal saying calling this greenwashing. And I think that the industry's learned a lot since then about what the what can be labeled green and not. Since then, we've had the Green Bond Principles introduced, um, and for the most of the companies that I look at they do have real tangible projects that they are trying to to implement. Some of the things that we look at to make sure that we are investing in the kind of green bonds we'd like to have in the portfolio, include the pipeline of projects. We want to know, um, do they have enough projects to um, satisfy the entire issuance or are they waiting to find more projects as they go along? What proportion of the projects or of the funds are being used to refinance existing projects that qualify as green versus new projects? Um, what is the ROIC or the return on invested capital that companies are underwriting those projects to? We expect companies to deploy capital in a smart and effective way, which means that we have the same expectations for a green project as we do a typical project, um, And in many cases, that's actually one of the easiest thresholds, because if you think about the financial impact of reducing reliance on fossil fuels um, or reducing the amount of electricity that's input into the business, that just drops to the bottom line. If you're spending less on electricity, um, that just becomes more profit. And so typically that's a pretty easy threshold, but by going through this pretty detailed analysis of what the project financing or the the projects are being um, financed with and for, we're able to determine which we think are the best fit for the portfolio. So those are tools that you could certainly say are are, um, used against greenwashing. Um, We also expect all of our issuers to have an audit of the green bond and also to report on the impact of the projects that they were financed with the green issue. I think that holistically, if we think about it from um, within the ESG world, which I'm certainly very involved in, it's where I spend my, my time and my career, there is more concern about greenwashing because we have very high expectations for what our companies are doing. And we want, let's say, 100% of it to be new, new projects and no refinancing, or we want um, the impact to hit certain thresholds. But I think if you were to look at it from, um, and when I, when I speak to non ESG investors, they see this as an incremental good. And so they say, well, these companies are still working on reducing their carbon footprint. So we're less concerned about that, about, about greenwashing. And I think that's, that's sort of where um, I personally shake out on it. I think that more companies trying to do more good is good. And I think that we'll, this is a very nascent area. The very first green bond was issued in 2008. And we're all, we're still very, very small numbers compared to the overall fixed income market. And I think more structure and um, um, transparency and accountability will come as this market continues to grow. And so right now, I'm just excited to see that we're continuing to see companies interested in this type of financing, continuing to push forward on more climate work.
0: That's great. Thanks for that explanation. Now, of course, Parnassus as an asset manager is legendary in the industry for being able to choose companies that have and and nurture long-term competitive advantages, especially in uh, the use of, of, of ESG analytics how is that working or how does it work on the fixed income side for you and your team and can you give us a couple of examples of how that uh, or or maybe companies or without even giving us the names securities that you've uh, brought into your portfolio strategy that give you that type of long-term competitive advantage on the fixed income side
1: sure and you know um I think that back to the, the contingent on greenwashing, I'd like to give a specific example and um, the example I'm going to go, I'm going to use is something that we all are very familiar with this company. And so it's good to be able to see sort of the whole supply chain and how they're using their prices. So um, Starbucks is of course a company, we all know they're on depending what city you're in, they may be on every corner. Um, And so I think we've all uniformly had a Starbucks beverage. Um, And so they were one of the first companies, um, probably the first certainly that I was aware of um, that did a corporate sustainability bond. So they used part of the proceeds for green issuance, which was the standard, building leed certified buildings, retrofitting existing buildings, reducing the carbon footprint intensity of their locations. The other part of the proceeds were used for um, their social programs. And so part of it was to um, extend uh, the benefits or educational benefits for baristas and um, employees at the the stores. But, uh, and part of it was that used for their cafe program, which is a program by which um, it's not a certification. It's an active program uh, for growers and What they do is um, by being enrolled in that program, they have um, many organizations they work with in coffee growing areas to support farmers. And what they're doing with that program is pretty novel and I think important to to appreciate, Um, certainly as someone who may occasionally drink a Starbucks coffee, but also to understand the supply chain dynamics that occur. So that cafe program, in supporting farmers will help teach um, sustainable use of pesticides and herbicides or, and especially reduction of those chemicals um, using effective uh, shade cover, which encourages habitat and ha- habitat sustainability because coffee is a tree that actually grows pretty well, best in shade. And so clear cutting areas to grow coffee doesn't actually work well. Um, they have um, educational programs and even programs to support uh, farmers' children going to school. And so by having local resources that are working really proactively with, um, in many cases, small growers, um, you can see there, again, becomes there's a virtuous cycle that occurs, right? So you've got um, more sustainable um, and environmentally friendly coffee growing practices, You have um, loyalty and, um, of course, if you have good fair trade trade type prices, they don't use the fair trade brand, um, but the fair pricing. And so that helps them secure supply chain. So in, in situations like now, where we see a frost in Brazil, for example, permanently damaging coffee trees and expectations that we could see impact to coffee supply chains now for several years into the future. I am less concerned about that impacting Starbucks because I appreciate this longstanding program that they have with many, uh, almost all of their growers and that um, becomes a a virtuous cycle and longer term relationship for supply for all over the world. And so, um, you know, that was a a green bond, a corporate sustainability bond that we were really pleased to be involved in the new issue, and pleased with how um, the the funds were deployed and um, the the, the impact of the project that occurred.
0: So that's the Starbucks Cafe program. Is that the name of it? Is that uh, and is it spelled?
1: And um, full disclosure, that is a weak point for me, acronyms. (laughs) So I (laughs) can't tell you exactly what the acronym stands for, but I do know that it's an acronym, the CAFE program, and it's used to, um, I think, uh, really thoughtfully um, support sustainable and um, healthy growing practices.
0: Well, that's great. So if you or someone on your team has a link or a piece uh... related to the cafe program at starbucks would be happy to include that piece as an attachment to this program so our listeners can learn more about that program and perhaps even donate to it or, or uh find another way to participate in it. And I think using that as an example is terrific because of course, we're now starting to see environmental stress on many different types of, of crops around the world based on climate change and uh, and rising temperatures. And as I understand it, coffee beans are certainly one of those products that are more sensitive to slight changes in temperature. So that's that would be great to have something we could pass on to our listeners around that process. Terrific. You know, this has been a really interesting conversation, Samantha, and I feel like we're just starting to scrape the surface a little bit, but I'm afraid we're out of time for today's program. So if you wouldn't mind, please tell our listeners how they can contact you about what we've discussed on today's program and what links or sites that they can visit online to learn more about the Parnassus Fixed Income Fund. And again, I can ask John to send me links that we can incorporate as attachments to this program.
1: Absolutely. I would say that um, our website, Parnassus.com, is a fantastic resource of information about the types of um, investing that we do, um, a lot of information about Parnassus Fixed Income Fund, but also the ESG work. And it has really detailed information on the ESG work and our ESG perspectives Um, on individual companies or, or trends occurring um, in the market. And the best way to reach me would be through two different teams that are listed on on that website. So there's our shareholder services team um, and their contact information is on the website as well as our uh, sales team, depending on, you know, where, you know, what, what category the listeners would uh, would fall into, and um, that is uh, certainly the best way to to find me um, and information about the fund. And I really appreciate the um, the chat today, Paul. And I, I agree, it's a it's a fantastic space. It's a space I'm obviously very passionate about, and I'm uh, pleased to be able to share some of that with with you and the listeners today.
0: Great. Well, thank you, Samantha Palm, Portfolio Manager for the Parnassus Fixed Income Fund. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast.